Would you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6? And if you want to put it up, if it's too late to do it, uh, Isaiah 6, 1 through 9, if you want to uh, work on that, we can just be the only thing we'll actually show as a visual today. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood over him, each having six wings. Two he covered his face, and with two covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to the other seraphim and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the thresholds tremble at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Actually, the Hebrew says covered. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Father God, Thank you for the word, the word of God, for the people of God. In Christ's name, amen. The word Isaiah means salvation of Jehovah. The word salvation is repeated many times in this particular book. Isaiah was from a prominent leading family and had success with several Jewish kings. He was married. He was a father of two. In fact, some of the meanings of the name mean begin his ministry in the beginning of his ministry. And the, uh, some of the meanings of the names of the children that he bore have to do with what was going on with Israel and Judah at the time. He began his ministry at the close of the reign of a king. A king who was a popular king. Politically popular he reigned for 52 years, and all the years that he reigned, Judah prospered, and the people loved prosperity. He got a little arrogant in his older age, and he thought that he could offer incense, and you read the story in First Chronicles of him offering or trying to offer incense. 
He made a big mistake. Eighty priests tried to stop him. So no, you don't want to do that. Then he really got angry at the 80 priests who said no. And in the midst of his anger, leprosy broke out on his brow. Leprosy in the family of Israel and the family of Judah automatically segregated you and separated you from that family. It was a sign of sin. And in his case, it probably was a sign of the sin of pride. Pride, of course, takes us all the way back to the beginning. When Satan fell, it was pride. If it's in your life, deal with it. Let the Lord deal with it before it's too late to be dealt with. He wasn't separated from the family of God in the sense that he lost out eternally because the word says he was buried with the fathers, which is an indication that he was a part of the family of Judah. But he was separated and segregated from the family and from the social and political things that he could attend and go to because he was now a leper. Now you can imagine being the people of Israel living in a prosperous country and having the prosperity of the Israelites for 50-something years, our prosperity of those who lived in in Judah, the southern kingdom, for 50-something years and your king dies, but you've got this shame that goes along with it. It is thought that Isaiah loved Uzziah, that he understood that he was empathetic and that he was burdened when Uzziah died. And thus we see the scripture say those phrases, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. You saw... You see here a beautiful example of when I have things go wrong with me or wrong in my life or things are over, overwhelmingly depressing and seem like they can just drag me down to the pit, I need to turn elsewhere. Uzziah had passed. Isaiah was living and he was in the youth of his ministry. He was just getting started as a prophet. Coming from the influential family that he was, he didn't seek the companionship of his family, but he sought the companionship of the Father, and he turned to God. That's what I want to talk to you about today is looking. This particular case, he was looking up. As we go through the Isaiah, we find that Christ is mentioned so many times and his birth is mentioned. It's a rich prophetic picture of Jesus. The ministry of John the Baptist is mentioned in Isaiah. And Christ the servant is mentioned in Isaiah. Israel's rejection of Christ is mentioned in Isaiah. The stone of stumbling is mentioned in Isaiah. Christ's ministry to the Gentiles is mentioned in Isaiah. Christ's suffering and death is mentioned in Isaiah. His resurrection is mentioned in Isaiah. The coming king is mentioned in Isaiah. And in fact, Isaiah has 66 chapters 
similar to the 66 books that we have in the Bible. It's a mini-Bible in so many ways. There are 17 references in Isaiah to Jehovah's servant. 13 of those are primarily to the nation and nation itself, but four of those are pointing out to the servant Jesus Christ. If we look at King Uzziah, we see in Matthew chapter 1 that he is a part of the lineage of Joseph. So he's kind of in the family, so to speak. Isaiah has two sons. One means a remnant shall return, and the other's name means a speed to spoil, haste to pray. One is speaking of the captivity that they, they have found themselves in from Assyria, later to become Babylon's captivity because Babylon conquers Egypt, who Egypt conquers Assyria. It's been suggested that Isaiah is like a Bible in miniature, as I just said. 39 chapters are in the first division and 27 are in the second division. And the king, Uzziah, has died and the throne of Judah is empty and left an empty space in Uzziah's life. Looking up, I saw the Lord, are his words. He saw the Lord. God lifted Isaiah's eyes from himself and his people to the throne of heaven. When there's confusion and there's upsetness and there's unrest on earth, perfect peace is still going on in heaven. We can always look heavenward and get an example of as it is in heaven, let it be on earth also. People on earth might be recalling the shame of Uzziah's death as a leper, but there's no shame and there's no failure in heaven. The seraphim were saying, holy, holy, holy. I think it's interesting to note that in verse 2, the seraphim stood above him having six wings covering Two of them covering their face, two of them covering their feet, and two of them that flew. It's interesting that the face, the instrument that's used to do the looking, the perceiving, the receiving, is covered. It's interesting also that the feet, the part of the body that does the activity, is covered. But the wings leaving two wings because it had a set of six wings, leaving two wings to fly with. So two-thirds of the being were involved in worship and one-third was involved in activity. I wonder if the church or if the body of Christ could find a ratio of one-third to two-third and say, if we spent two-thirds of our time in worship, What would the one-third of our time in activity look like? It would be tremendously changed. I think sometimes we get the two-thirds mixed up with activity and the one-third mixed up with worship, and we don't spend as much time as we should seeking and praising his face and looking up to see the Lord. 
these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory. And that's recorded in John chapter 2, verse 38 and 40 through 41. The New Testament proclaims exactly what happened to Isaiah. Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord. I saw the Lord high and looking up, and his train filled the temple. His presence filled the temple. The train that would come down off of the king would say to us that this person who was called the Lord was a king. I saw the king, Isaiah would say to you, and his train filled the temple. Everything about him filled the temple. I've noticed that over a period of time that if we start in Genesis, the first introduction man has to God is in the garden. But because of sin, man is excluded from the garden and the power of sin is evidently in the world to work in the lives of men. And men from that point on have got an active opportunity to make a choice to choose God or choose themselves or their own selfishness or sin. God comes up with a plan and says, I love this people, I want to marry this people. And he chooses Abraham and out of the family of Abraham comes the family later to be called Israel. He wants to walk with these people and so in the intercession that he has with Moses on the mount, in the time frame that he has with them, Moses comes down off the mount. The children of Israel have disobeyed and been disobedient. They're building a golden calf and God still wants to marry these people. And he says, I'll build a tabernacle so that I can have my presence and my glory with my people and be in the presence of my people. So God wants to reside with his people. Later, his people want a king and God says, I want to be your king. And they say, no, we want a king like all the other nations. So with the kingdom, we also, we want a temple. The king David wants to build a temple and he can't build a temple because he's got blood on his hands. So his son Solomon builds the temple. Notice now that God has gone from a garden to a tabernacle to a temple But yet when I turn to the New Testament, I find after looking at the Old Testament story of Isaiah, looking at this temple, he is looking at a temple that is in heaven and in the time frame that there is a temple on earth that's going to be soon destroyed by the Assyrians. The temples that were built to God in Jerusalem on earth were destroyed. The last one destroyed in 70 AD. There is no temple. But then you say, why do you mean there is no temple? If the earth is going to be filled with his glory and he is the Lord of hosts and he is the Lord of the armies and he is the Lord of all, how is the earth going to be filled It's going to be filled in his temple. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 alludes to this and says, Oh, or do you not know that 
Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God who is in you, whom you have from God are that you are not your own. Sometimes we think the temple is a Masonic lodge as we drive by somewhere in some small city. That's not the temple. It's not some cathedral in the European world or the European common market. It's not the First Baptist or Second Baptist or Third Baptist or Grace Fellowship building. It is not a temple. It is bricks and mortar and a structure. The temple is you. The temple is your body. And God wants to reign in your body. And he wants to fill, in God's vision, he wants to fill the whole earth with his glory. And he's going to do that through his temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Individually and collectively, you become the body of Christ and Christ is the head of that body. When believers have a true experience with the Lord, it does not make them proud, rather it humbles them and breaks them. When Isaiah had the experience of the coal touching his lips, as we read on in this passage, one called out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Isaiah says, Woe is me. You see, when you look heavenward and you see the glory of the Lord and you see the Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords supreme, when you see him in all of his glory, you begin to examine yourself because you have begun to contrast to the holiness of God and there is no contrast. You can only say, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips. And the reason you have unclean lips is because you have an unclean heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So unclean lips means an unclean heart, means that you're not probably walking in the place that you should be in your relationship with the Almighty. When you think about the king that Isaiah saw, you wonder, who is that? Is that God the Father? And the answer is no, it's not. Because when you read this from a Hebrew perspective and you interpret the scriptures here, the large L, the little O, the little R, the little D refers to a Hebrew word called Adoniah. And Adoniah is Jesus. Jehovah is the Father. Yahweh is the Father. Adoniah is Jesus. I saw the Lord, I saw Adoniah high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. 
And God in his perspective of things to come was saying to Isaiah, I want you to know that the earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord because you are going, you, the body of Christ, if he could speak to us, you, the body of Christ are going to become the temple, the little temples that become the big temple of the Lord himself. And you're going to be an expression of my compassion, of my love of my grace, of my favor. favor, And just like you're looking up to see the temple of the Lord today, others around you are going to look up to see the temple, the Lord, the King reigning in your life. And it's going to be attractive to them. And it's going to draw them to the person of Jesus Christ, Lord and King. Amen. How tragic it would have been to have this great throne without having the coals or the altar. How tragic it would be in the church if we praise the Lord forever and we got off on the idea of just praising and worshiping God without ever examining ourselves inwardly and choosing to allow the fire of the Holy Spirit of God to examine us and touch our lips and touch our hearts to make a change in our life. Romans 8 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that says simply that Jesus was resurrected by the Holy Spirit of God. When Jesus was dead in the tomb, he was resurrected by the spirit. Let me read it one more time. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You have the temple because you have the body. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. But not only do you have the temple, but you have life in your mortal body because the Spirit of God dwells in you. Is that not powerful? Can you not take this to victory lane? Can you not break the cord in the race itself? Can you not be the winner of winners because he, the greatest winner of all, is residing inside of you and he is speaking through you and he is making you a temple of the Holy Spirit of God to be an example to draw people to the lighthouse of Jesus Christ himself. He loves you. He cares for you. So then, brethren, we're under obligation, not to the flesh, although we all like to run after the flesh occasionally. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Did you feel a little nudge this morning? Did you feel some direction from a third person of the Trinity? Did you feel some direction from God himself, from the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart and say, don't do that, do this, choose this way, don't choose that way? 
You see, whatever he hears from the Father, he speaks unto you, John 16 and 13 says. He doesn't speak and express himself. He expresses what he hears from the Father. He's on your side. He is promoting you and your success and your family's success. He's trying to put you over into the eternal life spectrum of living with the Father and with the Son for eternally. For you have not received a spirit of slavery. We're not in bounds. We're not prisoners. We're not slaves. We're not subject to fear that we might be beaten because we don't obey. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Hi, Daddy, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself also testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Why do I need the Spirit? I need the Spirit because Paul says to the church at Corinth, the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. Want to know how to run your business? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let the Father talk to you. He's, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you from whatever he hears, but he will show you the deep things of God. And what man knows of the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Want to run from the spirit? Want to find a place that you can hide away? Want to just get away from it all? Are you tired of being hounded by the hound of heaven? Here's what the psalmist said. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. You see, God wants you to have a working relationship, not only with Jesus Christ as you read the word and as the word sanctifies you and sets you apart for the service of God, but God wants you to have a tender heart to hear the Holy Spirit of God and let God speak to you in dreams and visions and word. Let him talk to you. Let him grow you. But if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life. That's what Jesus said. I've come to that you might have life and life abundantly. It comes because you're listening to the Holy Spirit of God. You're reading the word of God. You're being separated from the selfishness and sinfulness of your life to be a sanctified son, our daughter of the Lord. See, Jesus loves you. That's what was going on in a real sense and is going on with you in a real sense when you look inward. Now let's look outward. In verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I wonder if there was a pause in heaven. After being transformed by the coal that touched his lips and made his lips clean and therefore had cleansed his heart to have that product of a clean lip, Isaiah responds quickly. 
and says, here I am. Send me. Michael so beautifully expressed how many of you had served and reached out to be a part of the work of Sons of Jubal and how many of you work as deacons and elders and and servants of the Lord in this fellowship. But God wants to make it clear to you that he wants you to serve him. And he is sending a message to you And he's hoping to hear a sound that reverbs like this. Here I am. Send me. That can only happen if you've been in the experience of seeing the Lord to the point that he has transformed you. You might not visually see the Lord, but you by faith can see the Lord. I said in the Sons of Jubal uh, presentation on Thursday... And it just dawned on me, why? 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 Wouldn't a God who loves us so much just send his son Jesus and Jesus pay the price for sin and when he sheds his blood and cleanses and gives us an opportunity to be cleansed from all sin, why wouldn't he just overcome evil at that point and overcome sin at that point? And why wouldn't we live in a perfect utopia? Because he had the ability to do that. And it dawned on me. We would be robots. We would have no choice. And God doesn't want robots. He wants you and I to have the choice to choose him as Savior and to love him by choice. Not because somebody's told us to. Not because we're born into a family that says you got it. But because we recognize that Jesus, the Son of God, gave his life on Calvary's tree that we might have life and life abundantly. Isaiah is no longer discouraged. He knows God's on the throne. The call is an evidence of God's grace moving in Isaiah's life. Isaiah was ready to proclaim the word. God must use human lips. Go and tell is the next verse. When we receive the power on high from the Holy Spirit of God and he gives us power to be witnesses, he says, I want you to be witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria and to the remote part of the earth. Another translation says the uttermost part of the earth. God has called us to be witnesses of his son, Jesus Christ. But he's called us to a higher calling to see the Lord, to take a look at ourselves, and then then to look at the need that is out in the world around us. It's not an easy commission. The nation was no in no mood to hear what Isaiah had to say. I'll go on to say that Isaiah ended his days, as Hebrews tells us, He ended his days by giving his life 
by being put in the hollow of a tree, tradition tells us. And he was sawed asunder, serving the Lord. Nobody said it was an easy thing to do. Nobody said it was going to be all roses. Nobody said it was going to be a rose show every weekend. Looking outward. The challenge to you is to, I want to share this short story in closing. When I was 10, my father committed suicide. I had three sibling brothers, two brothers and one sister. We were devastated. When I was about 11, I looked into the mirror in the bathroom and it was almost as if you were talking to me. I was somewhat discouraged, kind of like Isaiah was discouraged when the king died. And I had decided I'd gotten to the place that I was in self-pity and I was feeling sorry for myself and I was saying to myself, I don't have a father, daddy. And of course, for a kid, if your father commits suicide, there's a lot of baggage that goes along with it, kind of like the baggage of the leprosy that the shame that Judah had because their king had leprosy even though he had prospered their country. And so the fact that there was suicide involved carried what carries a weight on other people that are not involved in the suicide. It's, it's not only tough on the individual that goes through that, but it's tough on those that remain because there's that weight of shame. And there shouldn't be. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. At the time, I didn't know that. I looked into the mirror and it was almost as if someone were speaking to me and God was saying to me, I am your father. He was reconciling me to himself to a point that I could know without a shadow of a doubt that I didn't have to have a earthly father, that he was my heavenly father and that I didn't understand at that point in time that the Holy Spirit was involved in my life, but it was the Holy Spirit that would tug at my heart and say, this is the right thing, this is the wrong thing. I didn't know that, but that was happening. So I want to encourage you to, as we walk away from this service today, to look up, to see the King, but to look inward and examine yourself and then look outward and see the need and see if you can be a part of the answer and not a part of the problem. Christ's name.